Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. So our Bible reading for today is taken from 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 to 28 and 39 to 40. And it goes, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For, I, for if I pray in a tongue and my spirit prays, my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to, be, to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to these people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers coming, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Good order in worship. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or 
at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there are no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Taiwo. I almost feel like we say, let's give her a round of applause. <laughs> All right. Well, you're welcome uh, again, particularly if you're a first-timer uh, here. If you've uh, if you're watched with us for the first time, we're so happy that you're here. Um, if you've not been here also in a long time, then we're happy to have you back. Uh, we've been going through a series uh, called The Gifts of the Spirit. Uh, this is the fourth in it. And largely, we, we, the reason is because as Christians, we believe in God. Now, the, the God that we believe in is a gift-giving God. And the gift that he gives us, the best gift he gives us is the gift of himself. Now, I mean that literally, like he came into the world that he created in the person of Jesus Christ, and he gave himself to his people by dying on the cross for them and rising again. But when he then left, again he gave, of himself, he gave himself by sending the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the gift of Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now the way we receive that Holy Spirit also is that that Holy Spirit then gives us gifts from himself to be able to serve one another. And that's why it's called gifts of the Spirit. So this morning, we are talking about the not-so-controversial gift of tongues. All right, you know, since the turn of the 20th century, uh, so late 19th century, early 20th century, when this gift seemingly had, uh, came into ascendancy, at least public ascendancy, and people started knowing about it, it has been fraught with controversy all around the world. It's been fraught with controversy. Um, first of all, if you are not a Christian and you see people um, speaking in tongues, one of the things you say is, all right, First of all, I think Christians, by believing in God you cannot see, I think that there's already something wrong there. But now I see you speaking things that you don't understand. Not only is there anything wrong there, I think there's something wrong with all of you. All right, so it, it is the capstone for, uh, for an unbeliever's view of Christians uh, as people that are insane. All right, that's bad. We understand that with non-Christians. But what about within the Christian fold? Ah. That one brings a lot of debates. It's a lot of debates. And, you know, again, debates around the world. But as you know, in all things, Nigeria know they carry last, right? Our own debate is like debate on steroids. It depends on how you've seen these gifts being used. I know someone here in this church who told me that in her university days, if you wanted to join the choir, that you needed to have under your belt a 12-hour session of speaking in tongues. You have to be joking, right? Now, the good thing is I don't think you, 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 you didn't have to do it 12 hours ago. I think it had to be a minimum of three hours a bit or something like that. But you had to clock everything to be able to now have 12 hours of speaking in tongues. I know another person in this church who went to a church here in Lagos, popular one. They asked, all right, like we did, how many of you are here for the first time? I said, yes, me, me, good. And he was one of them. Now I said, all right, come, let's go. You know how that took them into the inner, uh, the, uh, I was almost at the other room. No, the inner room. All right, took them into the inner room. And then he then said, they then said, all right, how many of you speak in tongues of the people that first time? Uh, some people didn't raise, he didn't raise. And I said, okay, here's what the Bible says. Da, 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 da. All right, start speaking in tongues. Like, hey, that's the gift of a first timer. I mean, we're not doing well enough in this church. Honestly, we're just, we're keeping things too bad. So, and really, how many of us, how many of us um, take our five a day? Five a day, you know five a day now? Five tongues a day keeps the devil away. You don't know that, oh my gosh. You are missing spiritual nourish, uh, nourishment. That's one camp. Another camp would say something like this. I like non-Christians think that this tongue speaking is the most dangerous problem in the whole church. Right, in fact, at best, tongue speaking is fake. At worst, tongue speaking is the work of demons, the kind of thing you see in occultic religions. And then you get into exactly what are tongues used for. Some people will say that, well, I use tongues to speak to God. Some others will say, I use tongues to charge my, charge my spirit man. Some people will say, I use tongues for the uploading, not downloading, of revelations. And some would say, I use tongues as a means of spiritual warfare. 
don't laugh. If you come to my office, there are many terrible people there. They are enemies. I will always need to sanctify my office space every morning by speaking in tongues like for 15 minutes. And be like, so this is all going on within the church. Some people say you are crazy. Some people say that you are not spiritual enough. Listen, there is nothing that you can use to unite the church against each other by, uh, than, than speaking in tongues. Now, I do think, as I pointed out, usually what you have is, I would say, division that leads to misunderstanding. Division that leads to misunderstanding. You can see the church is divided when it comes to this thing. And that then creates a lot of misunderstanding. So if you can identify, the misunderstanding usually works like this. There are two, let's say there are two broad camps. Let's call them two broad camps. One called cessationists. I think here's where, they miss it, where there's a misunderstanding. Cessationists are people who believe uh, certain spiritual gifts like tongues have ceased. And I think where, um, in trying to disprove the validity of its current existence, the current existence of speaking in tongues, I think cessationists sometimes make this debate seem more complex than it should be. That is, when you go to the Bible and they look and try to disprove it, they make it more complex than it should be. On the other hand, let's take the other camp, continuationists. And continuationists will include people like Pentecostals, Charismatics, um, who say these gifts have never ceased. Um, I think in trying to promote the liberal use of tongues for all Christians, some of them make this debate seem simpler than it really is. And so we have the division. I think the problem here is because we all miss the biggest point about this, about tongues and really the gifts of the Spirit. And what's the biggest point? You see it in verse 1. Follow the way of love. Love is never brought in as part of the discussion when we think about this thing. And what love, if not you, uh, the lack of love breeds misunderstanding, that is division, uh, division and misunderstanding, what does love do? I think love will unite us and bring clarification. Because it says, follow the way of love and desire spiritual gifts. If you desire spiritual gifts without love, it will lead to division and misunderstanding. If you desire spiritual gifts on the path of love, it will bring unity and clarification regarding the use of the gifts. Amen? And so, I hope as we go into the scriptures now, we'll be able to see, hopefully, understanding that, as it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, that this community that Jesus has formed that are all baptized in the Spirit, and that Spirit that gives them gifts is also the Spirit that gives them love. I hope we'll be able to look at it from a perspective of love, such that even when we disagree, even if we disagree, at the end of this, we'll still disagree in what? In love. All right? So with that, without further ado, let's go into this topic, tongues and interpretation, and we'll look at it under three subheadings. One, explaining tongues. Two, interpreting tongues. Three, regulating tongues. Oh, I should have said. Please forgive me, just maybe because of the controversial nature of this topic, the sermon may be longer than normally is, all right? You've been warned. All right, but hopefully I'll, I'll try and get through to it, uh, through, through it as quick as, as we can. First, explaining tongues. Now, the context for this passage is a debate. There's an issue going on here about tongues and prophecy, which one is greater? Because really, in Corinth, the church in Corinth, some people who spoke in tongues were seen to be more spiritual than the people who spoke in prophecy. Now, even though we're not really going to talk about prophecy, we're going to, it's the context, in the context that we find this passage in, all right? So I should ask the question, what are tongues? What's speaking in tongues? Well, the Greek, uh, um, 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 the Greek word or word for speaking in tongues, the Greek word for speaking in tongues is glossolalia, right? Glossolalia is um, a word that is made up of two words, two words, glossa and lalain. Glossa and lalain. Glossa means languages, lalain means uh, speaking, all right? So we can call tongues the vocal expression of languages, all right? the vocal expression of languages. Let's think about vocal expression first. Vocal expression, surprise, surprise, means you have to speak it with your mouth. All right? The hint is in the word tongues. All right? That means you cannot write tongues. That is a, that's like having a married bachelor. 
All right, I know there was a celebrity that recently wrote in tongues. That was fake. I can tell you straight away. Because tongues is, you, you know, tongues, not hand. You can't write it, speak in tongues. Vocal expression. That's the first one. Second thing is, remember we said, is a vocal expression of languages. Now, the first explicit biblical reference to tongues we find in Acts chapter 2. This is at the time when the church is just being formed. Jesus has gone, but Jesus tells his disciples, wait, for the church to be formed, the Holy Spirit is coming. So they wait for the Holy Spirit, they pray, they wait for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descends on about 120 of them. Now, as he descends on them, they start to speak in tongues. Now, other people hear them speaking in tongues, and the question is, what did they hear for us to understand what we mean by languages? So I'm going to read Acts chapter 2, verse 4, 8, and 11. Listen to what they said. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Verse 8. Then, how is it, now the people that heard are saying this, then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Somebody say native language. Then verse 12. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Somebody say own tongues. Native language, own tongues. In fact, if we read the entire thing, you'll see that it, it gives the different, uh, if you like, ethnic nationalities of the people there. So that when they spoke and they heard in their, their ethnic languages, that's what they meant by native language, own tongue. Amen? So when we are thinking about tongues here, we're seeing it means ethnic languages in the, con in the context of this passage. Now, the fact that it meant ethnic languages here doesn't necessarily make us conclude that tongues are ethnic languages in totality. That is, the fact that we've seen the manifestation of ethnic languages doesn't mean this is the exclusive nature of tongues. Let me give you a reason why. If it was exclusive, glossolalia would not be the right word to use. There's a more appropriate word to use. That would be xenoglossa. Remember, glossa means language. Xeno is glossa. Xeno is where we get the word, uh, uh, the, the root of the word xenophobia. Xenophobia, fear of the other, a foreigner. And so, if it's exclusively language, uh, ethnic languages, it would just be xenoglossa. You wouldn't have to use glossa on its own. Glossa is just languages. But you can have different types of languages, ethnic here. Let me give you an example. Like uh, my secondary school, uh, there's, uh, it depends on how I look at it. Some of it was tragic, some of it was fantastic. All right, let's talk about some of the uh, fantastic parts. Right? No, 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 I'm not, it depends on how you look at it. All right, but sometimes, let's say you wanted to practice this noble act of um, uh, uh, what you call uh, gossip. In the, in the open, all right? But you didn't want people to know about it. Or you wanted, to, you wanted to say some things to a special person, I didn't know how to say it. We often would then speak in a form of language that you don't understand. So let me give you an example. What does this thing mean? What does this mean? Fatuma, hey, hey, keep quiet. Fatuma, three, la, four, fatu, sa, three, ta, five, na, five. Now, have you done this? Who knows what this means? All right, for those who know what it means, bad people among you. Um, <laughs> Um, but for those that don't know what, you know, this thing, wait, hold on now. This thing looks crazy, right? Like, can it mean anything? Now, here's what it means. I like, how? Look closely, look closely. You did quantitative aptitude. You look like you failed quantitative aptitude. That's what happens. All right, do you get it? No? All right, put A to every consonant. At the end of every consonant, I know the vowels, right? Vowels, there are five vowels. One, two, three, four, five. A-E-I-O-U. Oh. Let me ask you something. Fatuma three, la four, two, sa. Three, ta, five, na, five. Does that mean anything? Does it mean anything? We just showed you. Just explained it for you. Does it mean anything? It does. Now, it will mean something to you if you understand the code, isn't it? So essentially, with the code, we've basically formed a language. Let's do something more complex, right? Let's do something more complex. Now, again, as I said, as long as you know the code, even though it didn't mean anything to you, it doesn't mean that it doesn't bear any meaningful content. 
Let's do something more complex. Now, don't run away after this, all right? Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. That's taken directly from scripture, isn't it? This is a wonderful thing. This is extolling the, uh, the wonderful majesty of God. All right, let's form a language. Let's do something. So the first step, five steps. First step, let's remove all the vowel-sounding letters. All right, we are together. Then second step, let's remove all the spaces. Get rid of all the spaces. Okay? Wow, that looks quite... All right. Now here's what we're going to do. The third one is a little bit uh, complex, but you follow me. Starting with the first letter, we write the whole sequence using every third letter repeatedly until all the letters have been used up. Now, go, let's, let me show you what I mean. So with C-M-L-T, so you C is the first, M-L-T, T is the third, right? So you put T here. S-W-R, R is the third, you put R there. S-H-P-P, -P. do you understand how you do it? And you keep doing that until you use up all the letters that were there, all right? Do we understand it? Huh? Think, think. Just think about it. Think <laughs> about it. All right? Look, I can show you it's not nonsense. Okay. So that's there. So after you have that one, now, after every consonant, add a vowel in the order they appear in the alphabet. I-E-I-O-U. A-E-I-O-U, right? After every vowel, add A-E-I-O-U. All right. So what do you have there? You do that. And then the step five, the final step, let us break it into arbitrary bits. Just break it into arbitrary bits. What do we have? Kateripo, Dunanefi, Hodokamesiso, Buadeli, Rolu, Rare, Liwohua, Nekibo, Turame. Some of your tongues sound like that. And what does all of that mean? Come, let us worship, bow down, and kneel before the Lord our Maker. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that is what it means to speak in tongues. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying, and this is, this is not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not being unserious about that. That kateripo, dunanefi, whatever, it means something. It means something so long as you know the code. There, if, if I gave it to you and I said all of this, you say you don't understand. And if I then give you steps one to five, and you take five, four, three, two, one, what do you do? You get to come, let us worship and bow down. And you can repeat that for any other kind of sentence. Now, I'm saying that for some of you, I don't know who I've done. I did that for a long time, right? writing computer languages. This is essentially what we do. You may be given a syntax that has a couple of uh, things to follow, but you can form your own, write your own code. And if I showed you my code, let me tell you, if I showed you my PhD code, right? thousands of lines of code, you would say this is absolutely nonsense. And yet, it was generating something. Why? Because that code, that language, actually bared meaningful content. Language can be, language always bears content. We understand language in ethnic terms, xenoglossa, but language doesn't only have to be ethnic. So in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 2, Paul says, if I, uh, verse 1, if I speak with the tongues or the languages of men, ethnic, and I speak with the languages of angels, at least here's what you say, non-ethnic. We don't know how angels speak. And angels have spoken to people in the Bible. We know what they spoke, the language of, of uh, ethnic languages. But if I speak with the tongues of men, I speak with the tongues of angels. That is ethnic and non-ethnic. The fact that human beings do not understand angelic language does not mean that angelic language is nonsense. The crucial point here is not whether you understand what is being said. The crucial point is whether or not what is being said bears any meaningful content. Do we understand that? In no point is the word glossa, language, ever to point to something that means nothing. The crucial point, I'll say it again, is not whether or not you understand what is being said. The crucial point is whether or not somebody, anybody, can understand what is being said, even when that person is not human. In fact, especially if the person is, just, is divine. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, human beings, but to who? To God. It is not... You don't settle this point on whether or not any human being here understands it. You settle it on whether or not God understands it. Now, let me tell you something about God. 
I don't know everything about God, but I can tell you some things about God. Now, most of us know what God can do. Let me tell you what God cannot do. You know what God cannot do? Now, some of us know it. Our parents told us. God cannot lie. God cannot steal. God cannot do evil, right? Right? We know that. But that's all moral. Let's take not something moral. I'll tell you something that's not the moral plane that God cannot do. Do you know what God cannot do? God cannot understand gibberish. God cannot understand nonsense. Do, we, do you understand what I mean? God cannot understand what? Nonsense. If you, what you are speaking is nonsense, God will not understand it. But we don't determine what nonsense is based on whether or not you don't understand it. It is very possible, as it says in verses 14, 15, 16, 17, that even the speaker themselves do not understand what they are saying, but who are they speaking to? They are speaking to God and not to men. And this you see very clearly, and you also see that in verse 28, where it says that if there's no interpreter, let them keep quiet and speak to God, uh, uh, to themselves and to God. Now you see this also is consistent with Acts chapter 2. Because Acts chapter 2 is the expression of the gift of tongues, but in an ethnic form. But what did the people hear that was being said ethnically? Who was the message directed to? It was directed to God. Why? Because they were declaring the wonders, the wonderful acts of God. The people that were speaking, did they understand what they were saying? But it was being directed to God who understood. Yes, some people understood it uh, that were around because uh, they were ethnically connected to that language. But the people who were speaking it didn't understand. The crucial point here is that people are directing that message towards God. Again, I'll say it. What is the determinant, determinant about whether it is nonsense or not is not whether human beings can understand it. It's whether or not it bears any content and whether God is directed towards God. Amen? This is why you can see that in verse 14, 15, 16, and 17, it says that another way we can talk about tongues is it is praying with the Spirit. By saying with the Spirit, there is not talking about the Holy Spirit. It's in the Spirit, but with our own Spirit. Right? Praying with the Spirit. When we pray, who do we pray to? Huh? It also says singing. Singing praise to this in the Spirit. When we sing in praise, who are we singing to? And then it says you are giving thanks. Thanksgiving. When we give thanks, who are we giving that to? Always directed to God. Now, some would then say, uh, well, you know, that explanation. But what, what benefit is it? Particularly if I don't understand what I, I'm saying, what benefit is that to me? To which I want to first say, I agree, we can talk about benefits, but first deal with the text. Is the text clearly saying, does the text even anticipate your objection? The text clearly says, hey, the person that is speaking does not understand what he's saying. That may be strange to us. You may wonder, how, was that, how would that be? But we first deal with what is being said there. That's the first thing. Second thing I would say is that Paul, even with our own troubles on this thing, Paul seems to be very positive about this. In fact, he gives his, most, his clearest positive statement in, chapter, in verse 5. Listen to what he says in verse 5. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. Why? He understands that tongues, again, is a gift from the Spirit, and therefore it is a good thing. He would like, he would like everyone to speak in tongues. Now, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 29 to 30, shows us that what he would like doesn't necessarily mean that uh, we all could have it. Do you understand? Would doesn't necessarily equal to could. Because there he asks, concerning the various gifts, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all speak in tongues, was expected? No. But he's expressing with his wish that everyone could and would speak in it, he's expressing a positive stance towards the gift. 
So again, I would say deal with the text too. And in the text, you see that Paul is positive whilst he anticipates the fact that you may not understand what you're saying. But then you say, how does it benefit? Well, I'll say that it actually benefits us in two ways, individually and corporately. Let's talk about the individual benefits. All right? Some people say, well, how can something benefit me when I don't even understand what is being said and I'm not serving anyone with it? Hmm. Now, some of us here like teaching, like teaching people. And it's a delight when you've taught someone and the person understands. How many of us have done that before? When you see that the person understands what you're saying, how do you feel about it? How many of us have done that before? How do you feel about it? Your, eye, your eyes light up, isn't it? You've passed on knowledge. However, one of the things about knowledge, passing on knowledge, is that the prerequisite of that is that you should have the knowledge first. You should possess the knowledge before you can pass it on. All right? Isn't it? Makes sense. And most people who like to pass on knowledge are and possess knowledge are people who like to receive knowledge. So before you can teach effectively, you need to know what you are talking about. But for you to know what you, talk, you are talking about, you need to gain knowledge. So how many of us have read something? When you read it, you understood it. And when you understood it, you've not taught anybody. You've not even applied it to your life, but it made you feel good. How many, you, you know what I'm talking about? That you read something, you understand it, and because you understand it, just in the place of understanding, it makes you feel good. You've not passed it on to anybody, you've not applied it in your life, but just the acquiring of it makes you feel good on a personal level. Amen? So when you tell me, well, oh, it's not blessing anyone. I've, done, I've not even seen how it's applied to my life. Well, it's possible to actually exercise something, possess it within, and it makes you feel good. I'll give another example, to maybe more particularly with the gift of tongues. If tongues truly is prayer, a form of prayer that is something you're directing towards God. Let me ask, just with normal prayer, how many of us have found ourselves in a very difficult situation, a crisis situation, for instance? Something terrible has happened in our life. When you finally were able to pray, like, let me just pray, and I'm not talking about God help me kind of prayer. I'm talking about deep intercessory prayer. When you finish praying, no answer to the prayer in terms of the situation. You don't know whether the situation has changed. You've not gone out to see it. You've not, nobody has come with any message from God. But that when you, got, when you left the place of prayer, immediately you felt like something had lifted. Do you know what I'm talking about? Nothing has happened, as you know. Your, change, your situation hasn't necessarily changed, but in some way you feel edified in the place of prayer. So when somebody says, when the Bible says in verse 4, listen to what he says. He says, anyone who speaks in a tongue does what? Edifies himself. We may not fully be able to articulate it in words. Just like every good feeling we have cannot always be articulated in words. But the text says that, and many of our own experiences with this gift, maybe in understanding or in other gifts, also proves the fact that you can be edified personally with it. Now, I don't want to extend trying to explain it beyond that because not everything can just be fully explained with words. But let's talk about how it benefits us corporately. Let's go to the second point, interpreting tongues. Now, maybe before I talk about how it benefits us Corporately. Let's talk about how it can be useless to us. Because in verse 6, Paul says this. There's a way tongues can be useless. Now, brothers and sisters, if I came to you and speak in if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? Unless I bring some revelation of knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction. Paul is saying with this that there is a way tongues can be absolutely useless. But notice what he's not saying. He's not saying useless to the person who is speaking it. He said, of what good will I be to who? To you. So the uselessness has to do not with the speaker, but with who? The hearer. And he says there's a way it can be useless to you. Now, he illustrates that with two kinds of examples. One, life examples in verse 7 to 11, and then a scriptural reference in verse 21. Now, let's talk about the life examples. Um, quiz time. Are we ready for a quiz? 
Uh, you, well, I am, I'm the pastor and I'm telling you, you are going to have the quiz anyway. All right? <laughs> quiz time. Now, don't worry, you're not writing anything. It's going to be a quiz of the ears. I want you to listen to these two sounds, all right? Listen to these two sounds and let me know what you think. Go ahead. Now, when you heard that, what time was it? Nine o'clock. It was news time, wasn't it? No, there was a seven o'clock one. There was a seven o'clock mini one. Seven o'clock was the one as a child you can you can bear, you can bear, right? You can bear that one. Nine o'clock was my god. First of all, if you were not in bed, your parents didn't raise you well. Sorry. Sorry, sorry, don't be offended. It's true, but it's, but don't worry, don't be offended. Everything is forgiven in Christ. Now, here's the second one. Here's what happened. As that was going on, almost all the men here were like, <laughs> some women were like, What's that? What's that? It's a nice song, but what's that? So when you heard that, what, when you hear that song, what's the time? What time is it? 7.45, it's time for what? Champions League match, right? Champions League match, you see? So we're like, oh, okay, what's that again? What's Champions League? Oh, it has something to do with football. Notice what happens, first of all. When you hear those two sounds, depending on whether you have experienced anything about those things, what you get is meaning. There's meaning. It bears content. And that meaning then forces you to a certain kind of action. Why does it have meaning? Because those sounds are distinct. It's like playing a distinct note. When you recognize it, it brings meaning and that moves you to action. So when Paul says, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? And then if it has a distinction, some of these sounds, they move you to action. So like some of us who heard the news, what did we used to do when we were children? That's when you quickly go and you change the channel. Before your parents hear it. And for some of us, wives who know that second sound, immediately you do that. What do you do? You want to change it, but your husband comes quickly. And your husband, when you hear that sound, you hear, oh, let me quickly get um, uh, to, okay, this is church. Let's get grape juice. Grape juice <laughs> to drink and watch the match. Heineken <laughs> is not in the Bible, even if they sponsor it. In other words, the distinction of the note forces us to action. But why do we uh, uh, take action, meaningful action? Because the distinction of the note bears meaningful content. However, there are some of us that looked weird. It was just like, what is going on? I know that is music. I know that is music, but I don't know what to do because I don't know what that music means. It is in this way that tongues can be absolutely useless. I know somebody is speaking, but I don't know what it means. It is useless to me. Paul goes on further to then say, if somebody came here, and you are like me, and started speaking Spanish or French or German, now I will know what to do, obviously because I'm multilingual, I'm multilingual like that. <laughs> but for most of you, virtually all of you who are unexposed, <laughs> The person will be a foreigner to you. No, you know that the person is saying something, but it is useless to you. You are a foreigner to that person. It creates a distance. Do we understand? It bears meaningful content. Yes, your tongues are bearing meaningful content, but it is useless in edifying us corporately. Paul would do this, he, he explains this further by using scriptural reference. Now, this may be a bit confusing, so I'll try and make it um, um, 
I hope I succeed in explaining it well. Look at verse 21. It says, in the law it is written, he quotes Isaiah 28 verse 11. In the law it is written with other tongues through, and through the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people. But even then they, this people, will not listen to me, says the Lord. I'm like, why did he quote that reference? Oh, he explains the conclusion of it in verse 22. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. Tongues are a sign, already confusing you, right? Why did he put those negatives? Just say it. So, now he now applies the point. So, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in, while, the, while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all. As the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Now, if you read those five verses, can I have that table? We read those five verses. Can I have a table? If you read those five t uh, verses, here's usually what we would interpret it to be, right? If you take verse 22, he says, look at your Bibles again. What does verse 22 say? Get rid of all those negatives, not for. He says, tongues are a sign for unbelievers. Is that what 22 says? Right? Uh, do you have Bibles? Don't look at me. Look at your Bible. What does 22 say? Yikes. Are you seeing it? Is it to, uh, you guys, you, your Bibles are in English, right? Yeah. Tongues are for what? All right. And what the prophecy are for, is for? That's what your Bible says. Now, then an unbeliever comes in and he sees people speaking in tongues, right? But it doesn't benefit him. In fact, he says that you are mad. So it doesn't benefit him. So who is he benefiting? The believers, right? So then... Tongues are for who? Believers, right? And then when he looks, but when prophecy is being spoken about, when there's prophesying going on, his secrets are revealed, isn't it? And then the tongues benefit him, isn't it? And so prophecy is for unbelievers. Paul contradicts himself. It's allowed, right? How many of you have never spoken? You've contradicted yourself, haven't you? in life. And let me, say, let me say this. Whenever we are doing our normal work, maybe we're in school and all of those things, we deal with those things based on facts. When we come to the Bible, you can't be dealing with things based on facts. What we deal with is truth. And truth and facts are not the same thing. With facts, you are not allowed to contradict yourself. But with truth, you are allowed to contradict yourself. It's a spiritual thing. Look at how you look at your faces. <laughs> yeah, thinking about it. So that's all gibberish. What I just said. You, if you, whether it's truth or it's facts, you cannot contradict yourself. Now let me put it another way. Whatever you may think about Paul, you may think that the guy was not like Socrates or he's not like some of the very very brilliant people in the world. Maybe I don't think so. But let's say you think like that. Paul. Were you to write a letter and contradict himself in that letter, someplace in that letter, that would really be bad. Like, ah, come on now, show some consistency throughout your letter. I know it's a number of thousands of words, but show some consistency. Don't contradict yourself in it. Contradict yourself in two other letters. But if he then contradicted himself in the same chapter, you say, this guy, come on, man. Is this the person you people are revering? Like, this guy is very, very silly. But to contradict yourself from one verse to the other, you must be totally stupid. And Paul is not stupid. So it's either he's contradicting himself or we are misreading it. And I think we are, if we look at it that way. Now, we'll look at it more deeply, but here's what I think it's saying. When he says sign, tongues are a sign for. Most of us immediately thought sign for edification. That is, 
Tongues are a sign for edifying unbelievers. Prophecy is a sign for edifying believers. And then when you read the next one, it's, oh, but here now, it looks like the believers are the ones being edified by tongues. And the unbeliever is the one being edified by prophecy. When we see it as a sign for edification, I think we miss it. What it is a sign for is for identification. What do I mean? Please follow closely. Isaiah 28, verse 11, is talking about Israelites, the Israelite community who were in sin. They were living in sin. God has spoken to them over and over again. Through Isaiah the prophet, they did not listen. So when you are in sin and you don't listen, what are you doing? You are showing that you are an unbeliever. Do you understand that? Unbelievers do what is evil. So God now says, here's what I will eventually do. I will send a foreign nation to judge you. So that when you hear the sign, if you are standing outside here, and you look and you hear the sign of unbelievers, foreign nations' tongues in that place, you know that those people are under judgment. Do you understand? You can understand people who are under judgment because they are unbelievers. So if you see foreign tongues in that place among those people, you know they're under judgment. They are a group of unbelievers. Do we understand? Do we understand? I'll say it again. I knew it. This was... Unbelieving Israel came under judgment of Assyria. The Assyrian people, when they spoke their language, when the Assyrians spoke their language to the Israelites, how would the Israelites have heard it? As foreign, as foreign, right? It would be useless to them. Do you understand? So God was saying through Isaiah, when people with foreign tongues come to you, I will prove to you that you are an unbelieving nation. So when you and I read that, what do we see? We see Israel were an unbelieving nation. Finally, we see that because foreign tongues were spoken here. When you hear foreign tongues in Israel, you can identify Israel as an unbelieving nation. Do we understand that? Whereas if you go to Isaiah 8 verse 12, God says this, if you want to avoid um, judgment, verse 12, do not call a conspiracy everything these people call a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. There are some people that are going to call a conspiracy. If you follow those people, you will be condemned. But if you listen to my word, don't call it a conspiracy, you will not fall dead for their deception, you will be saved. In other words, Isaiah was speaking a prophetic word, and everyone that believed Isaiah's prophecy were not under judgment. Do we understand? Therefore, if you see people who are saved, they were saved through the prophetic word, those people were believers. Remember, it's not for edification. It's for you to be able to identify. If I see tongues being spoken here, oh, I can see those people are unbelievers. A sign. Remember, if you see a sign saying Goshen Estate Road, here, Goshen Estate Road. Is that Goshen Estate Road? Where the sign is? Right? It's not where it is. It, the sign is pointing to Goshen Estate Road, right? It's showing you where to identify Goshen Estate Road. So see the tongues as a sign pointing to those guys there. Tongues there. Those guys there are unbelievers. That's what we saw in Isaiah. But you then see prophecy here that is being obeyed. Those guys there are, are believers. So he then illustrates it. He now says, an unbeliever comes to your church. Forget the unbeliever. It's not the unbeliever. It's not the edification of the unbeliever that is at play here. It is who does the unbeliever identify you guys to be? Who does the unbeliever identify you guys in this church to be? Well, let's follow how it goes. Look at verse 23 again. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, would they not say that you, identification, you, who will he say you are? He will say, would they not say that you have all gone what? Mad. So he will identify you people as insane. And what we know about a gathering of insane people is that God is not there. Do you understand? The unbeliever will come in and say, I started thinking about going to church. That's the inquirer. The unbeliever of the inquirer. I started thinking about, you know, believing in the Christian God. 
you know, I don't like when my life is going on. Somebody gave me some good arguments. So you know what? I want to go and check out church. Let me go and check out church. I want to inquire. And then the guy comes in. And says, everybody stand up. Everybody speak it What is going on? That place I went to is <laughs> not a church. Or if it's a church, God is not there. Because the people are mad. Do you understand? Why? Because all he has heard is not going to benefit him. So when he looks at the church, where that gathering of people that are all speaking in tongues, he'll say, that's a place of unbelievers. God is in there. Whereas, if he goes to a place, verse 24 to 25, look at it. But if the unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, and we prophesy he can understand what is being said. With tongues, he didn't understand what's being said. It, when everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of their sin and brought under judgment by all as their secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is what? God is what? Really among you. So on the one hand, with tongues, he said, oh, God is in there. When there was all public speaking in tongues. On the other hand, he said, oh, we prophesy something that is understandable. God is there. Just like you see in the Old Testament. And this is why in verse 18 to 19, Paul gives an instruction that we must not forget. It seems so clear to me that I don't understand why people continue to violate it. Let me read it. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Paul is saying again, this gift is good. I even possess it. I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the Church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. What's Paul saying? The public speaking of the church, public speaking of tongues in the church should not happen. Amen? Public speaking of tongues in the church should not happen. Why? When we gather together, it is not and you bring your gift, it is not to serve yourself, it is to serve others. Don't get me wrong. As I'm speaking to you guys here, before I prepared this sermon, when I was preparing this sermon, I was being edified. As I'm standing here now, if what you are getting from this sermon is, man, Femi, Femi can't teach, you have missed the point. At least my, my, the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. I am doing what I am doing to be able to serve. I'm using my gift to what? serve. So when we come together, if you have the gift of tongue, the purpose for the gift of tongue when we come together is not your own personal edification. When we come together, the gift of tongue should be used in a way that serves others. And so when it is spoken and we don't understand, Paul will say that somebody who is coming in will think you guys are insane. And they are now, as an aside, Paul does two things here. One, he makes the strongest case against public speaking in un uninterpreted, a uh, public speaking of uninterpreted tongues. But two, on the other hand, it is the strongest case for the private speaking in tongues. How? Because if Paul says I, can, I speak in tongues more than all of you, and I don't speak in tongues in public, where is Paul speaking in tongues? Listen, when we come together and we just all start speaking in tongues, we're doing three things against three groups of people. One, it looks weird to non-Christians. Two, it excludes some Christians that don't have that gift. And three, it is useless to all Christians. Should I say it again? It looks weird to non-Christians. It excludes some Christians. And it is useless to what? All Christians. We've spoken about the non-Christian one. But here's the point. Some of us here, here's this thing. It's, it's, not, it's not good to be uh, in a group and you don't have what everybody in the group has. You feel rejected, don't you? Some of us here, we got into fellowship. 
And when you got into fellowship, everybody started speaking in tongues. They were kabashing, they were whatever. And you're like, oh God, when is my own turn? When me, come on, God, visit me. okay. You are saying, God, carry me to a higher plane. So some of your friends eventually notice, I'm like, I will do anything. I will do anything. They don't say, you, you, will, you will to join. Okay, all right. Come, come. Today we're going to pray, pray fast, everything. You now come. And I say, all right, I want to speak in tongues. What do I do? All right, because you don't want to feel it in anything. Now say, 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 I tie my bow tie. Say it to me. Say, I tie my bow tie. Say it. All right, say it again. Say it faster and more. You've got it. You've got it. All of you are filled with the Spirit. And then you start saying it. And you're like, man, I'm speaking in tongues, finally. The joy is not so much that you've got the gift. The joy is now that you are in the in-group. Because none of us likes exclusion. But Paul says, this gift is not given to everybody. Can I make a statement here? I can't totally prove this statement, but I will tell you. 95% of people who speak in tongues don't have the gift. Why do I know this? Because you cannot come and tell me that in this church, 95% of people, 100% of people have the gift of teaching. And if you think so, sorry, we're not going to allow you to teach. If you tell me 95% of people have the gift of leadership, if you tell me 95% have the gift of apostleship, 95% of people have the gift of prophecy, there is none. The Holy Spirit distributes these gifts. We all have them so that we can serve each other. But why do we say that it's this particular gift that all of us have the potential to have? We've misunderstood it. Let me tell you this. It is a wonderful gift, as every gift of the Spirit is. It's a wonderful gift. But when we think we all have it, and we all speak it, we look where to non-Christians, we exclude other Christians, and none of us is really being edified. He says, do everything for the church to be built up. And the way you do that is by praying for the gift of interpretation. Look at it. For this reason, verse 13. For this reason, or what reason? Verse 12. Verse 12 says, since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. You see, the uselessness of tongues is not, the use, is not that the gift itself is useless. It's that it is useless to the hearers. But all of a sudden, the gift of tongue becomes very useful when... It is interpreted. It's like dodo. It's totally useless until you bring beans with it. Ogi is totally useless until you bring akara with it. Do you understand what I mean? Am I speaking to somebody? The gift of tongues is totally useless until you bring interpretation to it for the church. That's what Paul is saying. It's an expression of love. When you do that, what happens is that it looks less weird to non-Christians. It in, is inclusive of other Christians, and it builds up all Christians. When last did you, you, who speaks in tongues, when last did you pray that you may be able to interpret? Or when last did you pray that God may raise others to interpret? Follow the way of love. That brings me to the last point. Regulating tongues. Paul is a man who likes keeping tension between two seemingly opposing views. And that's what he tries to do in wrapping this up. He said a lot. This is the longest exposition of how things should go on in the church in the whole Bible. So Paul says, let me wrap it up so that you don't misunderstand. Verse 29 and verse 30. He says... Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and what? Do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Now, most times, you belong to two camps, and in either of those camps, you don't think those two things can, can dwell together. If somebody is speaking in tongues, almost this place is just is a cacophony of noises. I don't know what's going on there. And those are the people, those are the people that I say, order. I like order. Give us an order of service. We sing our songs. 
according three, four minutes, though, you know when somebody says, like Kule was singing today, and he said, one more time, one more, which one more time, what? It only says, doesn't say twice. Let's follow the order. At this point, they're thinking, Pastor, you have 45 minutes. Can you give the, he says, for those people, don't forbid spontaneity. And yet, for the other people, oh, let me talk about the people in order. You see, what he's saying is that these gifts are there for the good of the church. And it's not, the spirit is not against order. That is, the spirit works through the order. But that spontaneity has to be allowed because the spirit is the one that gives those gifts. In other words, he's saying if you're that kind of person, and he says don't forbid speaking tongues, he's saying, look, Allow for the flourishing of all gifts. Encourage them. Allow people to grow in them and to make mistakes. They make mistakes. How can they make mistakes? If you have the gift, you have the gift. Really? Look, I have the gift of teaching. I had to grow in it. If you listen to me in 2005, oh my gosh, I don't know how anybody listened to me. Like, I feel sorry for the people that listened to me then. But because I had mentors that allowed me, that gave me space, come. Come and whatever. I often tell Emmanuel Damien, I'm like, look, I've listened to them preach for two years. And they were better, they're better now than they were in two years. Now, I already knew not everybody speaks and preaches here because not everybody has the gift. But they are better preachers two years ago than they are now. I say, can you do that with the gift of tongues? Is it possible for somebody to have more of the gift of tongues than, well, listen to what Paul said. I speak in tongues more than all of you. What does that mean? Paul is more mature in that gift than the other people. In other words, there is such a thing as growing. So if you have the gift of tongues here, and you're sure you have the gift of tongues, you are sure you have the gift of tongues, then some of those lingering doubts that are there, ah, did I say, was this myself? Yes, some of it was yourself, but some of it was truly right. Continue. Practice. Keep doing it. Keep edifying yourself in it. You will get better. But Paul also speaks to the spirit people. Spirit people, you know spirit people, right? <laughs> Pastor, <laughs> oh, ah, <laughs> eh, you know? The way he's doing me, Paul said, he's not doing you any how. He's not, my friend, he said, I need to say it, I need to, I, I need to just prophesy. Paul said, you, we are going to regulate this gift. He even gives three regulations. He says what? Not more than in verse, 20, uh, verse 27. Not more than two or three allowed. Two is what is normal. The exception is three, not more. They answer, can we speak together? No, you can't. One after the other. There's a queue. That's what Paul said. There's a queue. Line up, speak in tongues, interpret. Uh, then the third thing is there must be. He said must be an interpretation. If those things are not there, you know what he says? Keep quiet. Speak to God and yourself. You say, ah, no, but that is stifling the spirit. I, the spirit is moving me. I can't control it. For prophets, he said, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Only speak two or three. I want to bless people of God. You can bless them next week. He said, but if I don't let this thing out, let this thing out. Are, are you sure it's the spirit or is it digestion? Go to the toilet and let that one out. Maybe that's what the one needs to come out. Why? Paul says, if you break all those rules, it all it leads to confusion. And he grounds the other part in the character of God. In verse 33, which we didn't read, he says, why? God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Notice what he didn't say. He did not say God is not a God of disorder, but of silence. Why? Because the opposite of chaos is not silence. Silence is inaction. Silence does not solve a chaos. It ignores it. The presence of silence does not mean the presence of peace. You see, chaos needs a force to bring it to peace. That's why we talk about the UN peacekeeping what? Forces. They see chaos. They see genocide. And they want peace to happen. If they just went there and said, let's all sing, kumbaya. They will start cool and normal cool. But interpret that. Yeah, I tried to interpret it. 
in other words, there's a force that must come to bring order, to bring uh, chaos to peace. This is why when God looked at the world and the chaos we were in because of our sin, God did not send us a prince of silence. He sent us the prince of peace. And the prince of peace, to bring the chaos to the place of peace, he died for our sins. He rose again. And then he sent his Holy Spirit so that in his church, they can express the gift of love, but in a way that is consistent with his character in an orderly and fitting way. It's all about love. Follow the way of love. The gift of tongues are languages. Languages are not always ethnic. They can be non-ethnic as well. But here's the problem. The cacophony of voices, the abuse of it, the fact that we feel everybody has it, the fact that everybody speaks in it and there's no interpretation, that's why a lot of people move away. That's why it brings misunderstanding. But if we follow the way of love, and the way of love means I want to edify my brother and sister when I gather together. When we do that, we will seek the gift of interpretation. Those three regulations that are there, I think they give us a primary principle. They're not exhaustive. And so for us, the city church, in trying to keep that principle too, we've extended it. And for us, some of the rules would mean that we will not speak in tongues in public on a Sunday. Because Sunday is not the only gathering of the church. We feel that for us to be able to keep that order that is better done and for people to grow in it and for people to grow in the gift of interpretation is better done in smaller groups. But let's not miss the point. It's all about love. Let us pray. Very quickly, I want us to pray about two things. If you don't have the gift, ask God and you desire it, ask God for it. But if you have the gift, ask God to grow in it and also ask God for interpretation. Whether you can interpret or people in your church can interpret. And secondly, let's ask God that we want to strive for peace. And that piece is, know who you are. Are you the order kind of person? And you go to the extreme of order. Ask God to make you more comfortable with spontaneity. Or are you the spiritual, spontaneous kind of person? Ask God to make you to be more comfortable with order. Lord, we thank you for how you've dealt with us, we ask, Lord, that you hear our prayers. Grow us, O God, in this gift for those that have it. Help us to be mature. Help us not to be childish, as Paul says. But at the same time, Lord, we pray that you help us to refine it. And Lord, for those of us who need to be more on the, to appreciate why you bring order and how that is fitted with your character, give us discipline, Lord. For those of us, O oh God, who may be skeptical, help us, O oh God, to be more open in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.